Okay, so this is going to be a review for the first exam in maternity this session. So looking at the various STIs, our first is chlamydia. So this is caused by a bacteria, chlamydia trachomatis, who knows. Um, it's the most common STI found in U.S. women, and it's transmitted primarily through vaginal or anal sex, but it could also be mother-child transmission vaginally. So if you just think vaginal and anal, that'll cover that as well. The risk factors for developing chlamydia include being sexually active, having multiple partners, and not using barrier methods like condoms. Um, complications that you can see in mothers. Pelvic inflammatory disease is extremely concerning. It's very dangerous. You could also have acute salpingitis, so it could affect the fallopian tubes, ectopic pregnancy, tubal factor, infertility, HIV infection, preterm labor, and premature rupture of membranes. So if we think infection of the pelvis, aka the uterus, also the fallopian tubes. Um, you'll have tubal problems like ectopic pregnancy and the infertility, and then HIV, since it's already causing that irritation. Our infant complications include low birth weight, conjunctivitis, and pneumonia. And I just want to note that conjunctivitis would be treated differently than kind of that usual erythromycin ointment that people think of for babies after delivery. So signs and symptoms, it's commonly asymptomatic, but if someone did have symptoms, she might have postcoital spotting or bleeding, cervical discharge, and dysuria. So bleeding, abnormal discharge, dysuria for chlamydia. For screening and treatment, cervical cultures would be taken at the first prenatal visit, and you would screen again in the third trimester if the patient was high risk, since they could still develop it if they were having those ongoing sexual activity. Um, you would be treating this with one dose of azithromycin. That would be the treatment. Um, you would want to have no sexual activity for seven days after treatment and you'd be retesting within three months and treating any partners that could be affected. Gonorrhea is the second most common STI. The causative agent is Neisseria gonorrhea. It's transmitted vaginally, anally, and also orally. So that's a difference with chlamydia. Chlamydia is only vaginal and anal. The risk factors include, once again, being sexually active, having multiple partners, and not using barrier methods like condoms. The maternal complications include acute salpingitis, which is the same as chlamydia, chorioamnionitis, uh, maternal postpartum sepsis, and amniotic infection syndrome. So here, just think infections of basically every aspect of the pregnancy. So gonorrhea is infection. Infant complications, you could have preterm birth, neonatal sepsis, poor fetal growth, or ophthalmia neonatorum. And that would, once again, that would be treated with a full course of antibiotics. It would not just be that erythromycin ointment. So if we're thinking of these complications, we have poor growth, early delivery, and then infection, sepsis or um, conjunctivitis, that ophthalmia neonatorum. So signs and symptoms, gonorrhea is frequently asymptomatic. The patient might have minimal discharge, menstrual changes, pelvic or lower abdominal changes, dysmenorrhea or dysuria. So think menstrual changes, abdominal pain, and dysuria. Treatment and screening for gonorrhea, you would be screening at the first prenatal visit once again, and then again in the third trimester of high risk, so you'll notice a trend here. We'd be treating gonorrhea with ceftriaxone, and you would want to, of course, treat any partners. For syphilis, it's caused by a treponema pallidum. That's the bacteria that causes it. 
transmission is once again vaginal, anal, oral, and also transplacental. So babies can be infected in utero through the placenta. Risk factors, once again, being sexually active, having multiple partners, and not using barrier methods. And for transmission, once again, so we have chlamydia, which is vaginal or anal sex, gonorrhea, vaginal, anal, and oral, and then we're adding one more with syphilis, vaginal, anal, oral, and transplacental. So some maternal complications, we want to think like systemic problems. So you could have multi-organ issues like neurological problems, cardiovascular, and musculoskeletal. Infant complications are quite serious. You could have stillbirth, failure to thrive, a rash on the mouth, genitals, or anus, and also syphilis lesions on the hands and feet, deafness, blindness, and bone pain. So some pretty severe complications. So the baby could be dead when it's born, um, just not grow correctly. You could have those rashes or lesions on the body and the feet, hands and feet. And then also we could think of sensory problems, syphilis, sensory, deafness, and blindness, and then bone pain. So signs and symptoms vary by stage. Um, you would start with primary and progress through tertiary without treatment. So primary could be between first and 90 days. It is going to be just one localized hard ch chanker, canker, um, which is kind of like, a I think, a painless nodule. Um, then you'll have a secondary stage, six weeks to six months, where you'll have a rash, fever, headache, and maybe genital warts. During the latent phase, you're asymptomatic, and in the tertiary phase, this is where you're going to see those systemic and multi-organ complications. So you'd be progressing from primary to tertiary if you weren't treated, and treatment could occur at any stage, though it can't reverse multi-organ um, changes. So treatment and screening, once again, we're going to be screening at the first prenatal visit. So you would be screening with the RPR and VDRL. So those are screening tests, they're blood tests. If you had a positive screening test, so RPR, VDRL, you would do the FTA-ABS, which is the definitive diagnostic test. So you will not be diagnosed with the RPR, VDRL. Those are just for screening. To treat syphilis, you're going to use penicillin G, um, you would need to have monthly testing and continue treating until it's gone, and you must be absent until fully cleared. It's not like a kind of seven days or something after symptoms are gone sort of thing. You have to be absent until fully cleared. And you would also want to test for other STIs. They're very common comorbidities, especially chlamydia and gonorrhea. Okay, next we have HPV, which is caused by human papillomavirus, and this is the most common viral STI. STI and it does have oncogenic potential, so it can cause cancer in certain strains. It's transmitted sexually and kind of through vaginal transmission. So risk factors include risky sexual behavior and pregnancy because the hormone changes actually cause the warts to grow a lot more quickly. Maternal complications really just center around discomfort. So you're going to have difficulty urinating, potentially difficulty defecating because of the placement of the, those warts, and also need for a C-section if you had an additive case at that time. Infant complications, um, vaginal transmission is possible, but infants would rarely have manifestations of the clinical disease, so it's not as much of a concern. Signs and symptoms would include multiple localized lesions slash warts, chronic vaginal discharge, puritis, and dyspareunia, which is pain with sex. So really just the warts themselves, discharge, itching, and pain. Treatment and screening. So you can actually prevent HPV infections with the Gardasil vaccine. So this is going to be two to three injections over six months, and that's completed in early adolescence for males and females. 
To test for HPV, you'd be doing HPV DNA testing during pap smears, and it would be treated hopefully with spontaneous clearing if you had a strong immune system. Otherwise, you would just be removing warts kind of by freezing them off and then treating symptoms. For genital herpes, it's caused by herpes simplex virus 2, HSV2. It's transmitted with sexual and vaginal activity once again. Risk factors include risky sexual behavior, um, maternal complications, viremia, so the virus in the blood, um, intrauterine growth restriction, so the baby isn't growing properly, and then also preterm labor. Infant complications, neonatal herpes, so that would be localized skin or oral lesions. You could also have um, central nervous system brain lesions causing lethargy, poor feeding, irritability, seizures, and disseminated infection with symptoms like sepsis. So really severe infant complications for genital herpes. That's something to remember. The signs and symptoms, they could just be, the patient could be asymptomatic or mild, and it, but it could also cause those lesions, fevers, um, chills, malaise, and dysuria. One thing to remember, the, the kind of primary initial infection with genital herpes is going to be the most significant as far as severity of symptoms and recurrences are going to be less intense. Um, treatment and screening, you're going to want to check labs for that viral load. Um, if it's chronic, it is chronic, and so it's going to be reoccurring with no cure. Um, recurrent outbreaks could be triggered by stress, fatigue, or trauma, anything that decreases the immune system and prompts this virus to be able to replicate. Antivirals would be the treatment. You'd give acyclovir and Valtrex. You would be treating symptoms as well, and you would need to have a C-section if the mother had any active lesions. Hepatitis B is caused by Hep B virus. It's transmitted through blood and bodily fluids, and it's also perinatal via the placenta. Some risk factors include the history of acute or chronic liver disease, risky sexual behavior, and IV drug use. Maternal complications include preterm birth, changes in liver function, which cause an increased risk of hepatitis, cirrhosis, and liver cancer. So think preterm birth and liver problems. Infant complications are pretty significant. The infant is going to be a chronic carrier and have chronic liver disease. So very significant with hepatitis B. Some signs and symptoms, the patient might have headache, fever, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, anorexia, dark urine, clay-colored bowel movements, arthralgia, and jaundice, and it is chronic. It can be chronic. It sometimes is acute. Um, treatment and screening, you would be assessing at the first prenatal visit, of course. And if a mother was exposed and was aware of the exposure immediately after, you could give the hepatitis B immunoglobulin and a vaccine series. So that's only following immediate exposure. Otherwise, you'd want to make sure all women who aren't immune and are at risk are vaccinated. There are no specific treatments, but for newborns, if they were born to a mother with that immediate exposure you would want to give them that Hepa B immunoglobulin and the vaccine. HIV is caused by, of course, the human immunodeficiency virus. It's transmitted through blood and bodily fluids, also perinatal via the placenta. So it's going to be pretty similar to Hep B in that regard. The risk factors also include history of acute or chronic liver disease, risky sexual behavior, and IV drug use. Maternal complications are exactly what you would think, opportunistic disease, increased risk of HSV and cytomegalovirus, PID, and overall immunosuppression. So just think risk of infection.
Infant complications are opportunist diseases. So for treatment and screening, mothers are going to be screened at the first prenatal visit. Once again, it's going to be repeated if they are at high risk. If they were positive, they would have the ART or antiretroviral therapy. And their symptoms might require a C-section and they would want to avoid breastfeeding. But that C-section would depend on their viral load for sure. Trichomoniasis is our last STI. It's caused by the protozoa Trichomonas vaginalis. It's transmitted through sexual contact with the vagina, so penis to vagina or vagina to vagina. The risk factors include risky sexual behavior. Um, the complications, you have increased risk for STI through general irritation and kind of lesions that would be in the vagina and cervix. There's also a risk of preterm birth and low birth weight. So some signs and symptoms, the patient might be asymptomatic, but the kind of classic symptoms include thick, green, frothy, malodorous discharge. Sounds lovely. Um, irritation, puritis, inflammation, dysuria, dyspareunia, so that pain with sex. And you could also see strawberry spots also, or petechiae on the cervix. So treatment and screening, you would assess with a wet prep and then you would treat with flagell. So two non-STI kind of vaginal infections include bacterial vaginosis and candidiasis. So bacterial vaginosis, <laughs> bacterial vaginosis is caused by vaginal dysbiosis, so we kind of change in the bacterial composition of the vagina. It is the most common cause of vaginal symptoms with higher rates in non-white women. So risk factors are anything that could disrupt that vaginal environment, so that includes new or multiple partners, douching, and receiving oral sex. Complications include increased risk for other STIs, preterm birth, and low birth weight babies. The classic signs and symptoms include fishy odor with the vaginal discharge or thin, white, gray, milky discharge and itching. So for treatment and screening, you would be assessing symptoms. You could do a wet prep for a microscopic analysis of the cells. You could check the pH of the vaginal secretions and you would treat with flagell once again. For candidiasis, it's caused by candida albicans. It's known as a yeast infection, and it's the second most common vaginal infection in the U.S. Risk factors include antibiotic therapy, steroids, pregnancy, obesity, a diet high in refined sugar, tight-fitting clothing, and non-absorbent underwear. So anything that promotes that excessive growth of the candida albicans that's naturally found in the vagina. So there are no major complications, which is great. The signs and symptoms include puritis, dryness, dysuria, thick, lumpy cottage cheese-like discharge, erythema, and kind of a yeasty odor. For treatment and screening, you'd be assessing with signs and symptoms. You could do a physical exam and also a wet smear to confirm the overgrowth of Canada albicans. This would be treated with an oral or cream antifungal fluconazole, and you would want to make sure the patient completes the course. One thing to note, women who are pregnant are not going to be receiving the oral fluconazole. It would be a cream version, so a topical prep. So general health promotion for prevention of STIs and preventing transmission. So really high-risk populations include women, men who have sex with men, adolescents and young adults, so adults below 25 men and women in correctional facilities and victims of sexual assault are all kind of vulnerable populations there. Some high-risk behaviors include new or multiple sexual partners, um, being sexually active with partners who them, they themselves have multiple partners, sharing needles, alcohol and drug abuse, 
and inconsistent or incorrect use of barrier methods. So for health promotion, you're going to want to promote safe sex discussions comfortably. Um, ensure the patient knows that sexual abstinence is the only way to completely prevent STIs. You could also suggest limiting sex to well-established monogamous relationships to reduce the risk and addressing challenges of special populations, especially individuals who are dependent on drugs or alcohol. There are some ways to prevent infection, so you could educate people to inspect their partner's genitals for any obvious lesions or sores. Um, make sure the patient is aware that many STIs can be asymptomatic, so they do need to get screened and tested, even if they don't have symptoms. Um, when you're having sex, you have to remember that you're also being exposed to all of your partner's previous partners. Just educating on good condom use, so making sure you use barrier methods to prevent STIs. And also educating about spermicide or nanoxyl 9. It's highly ineffective for birth control when used alone, and it actually increases the risk of STIs by irritating the vaginal mucosa. Screening programs are highly effective to control spread and people in particular that you want to screen. Include young men, people who have sex with men, excuse me, men, young people, men who have sex with men, pregnant women, and anyone at increased risk for exposure. You'd basically want to locate and examine all the sexual contacts of patients with reportable STIs to ensure that treatment is initiated and privacy is ensured. And then just general hygiene measures. You'd want to do frequent hand washing. Don't itch or scratch any lesions that you do have to prevent auto-inoculation. So you could potentially touch a lesion in one area and infect yourself in another area. Um, make sure you're washing with soap and water, and you can also void after sex, which potentially can decrease exposure and never douching because that affects the the microbiome and um, increases the risk of kind of those non-infective infections that irritate the vaginal mucosa.